Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion on this wintry third Sunday after Epiphany. I know some of you out there really wanted this snow, so I do hope you're enjoying it and make the most of today. Uh, a few things before we begin our service this morning. Uh, first, a reminder that council installation will be next Sunday, the 30th. Also a reminder that newsletter articles are due today, so if you have anything for the newsletter, please let Rose or Mary know what you need. Also, there's a clipboard out in the narthex to sign up to participate in the prayer chain. Uh, so if you're not in a prayer chain, you'd like to, like to participate, please sign up. Next Sunday, if we have a few more folks, I'll pass the clipboard around uh, to give an opportunity. But if you'd like to sign up, please do so. Uh, also, as you may have heard, that Zion member Carolyn Waltz passed away this past Friday morning. Her funeral will be here at Zion. The service at 9.30, visitation starting at 8.30 in the morning, and then a luncheon to follow the committal at Memorial Cemetery. Also, it passed along that I had heard that uh, former Zion member Judy Craig passed away recently this past week, so keep that family in your prayers as they grieve as well. Are there other, other announcements or other prayer requests to bring before the congregation? Friday. Friday, yep. Good. Yeah, so Marcy's going to come home today, so yeah, let's thank God for that. All right, if to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for worship as we listen to the prelude.
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord 
For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Let us pray. Blessed Lord God, you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for the nourishment of your people. Grant that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that comforted by your promises, we may embrace and forever hold fast to the hope of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. A reading from Nehemiah. All the people of Israel gathered together in the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and of the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. 
For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this is the holy day to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word of the Lord. We'll read Psalm 19 responsively. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims its maker's handiwork. Although they have no words or language, and their voices are not heard. It comes forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. The teaching of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the simple. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. By them also is your servant enlightened, and in keeping them there is great reward. Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Then shall I be whole and sound and innocent of a great offense. A reading from 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, 
and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you to come forward. All right. So I heard something about you all this morning, just before the service began. I heard that you asked Amanda to bring donuts to Sunday school next week. Is that true? Oh, you're not, you're not going to fess up to it? Oh, okay. You're not in trouble. I'm just, I just heard that. But I have to ask you, did you, did you ask Amanda to bring donuts because you're really hungry? Do you eat donuts normally because you're just really hungry and they're so good for you? No, probably not. Why do you why do you like donuts? They taste good. Yeah. Do you know what's good about them? Why do they taste good? Yeah, they're they have sugar all over. They're covered in sugar and they're fried and fat and they're fatty and sugary and all the best food is 
full of sugar and fat, right? <laughs> of course. Well, I was thinking this morning from our psalm. Uh, the psalmist is talking about God's word. He's talking about scripture, the Bible. And he says that scripture is more to be desired than gold, sweeter far than honey, than honey in the comb. Right? He's saying God's word is sweeter than honey, and honey is just pure sugar. Right? There's something sweet about the Bible. And maybe we don't often think about it in those terms. But I was also thinking about our first reading from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah gives us this picture. So in, the, in Nehemiah, the people of God had been away from Israel for a generation. And so these people did not have access to the Bible. They hadn't really heard the Bible, hadn't read it, didn't know about it. But when they got back to Jerusalem, they wanted it. They wanted to hear what they had been missing. And they gathered together on the city market street and they asked that the Bible be read to them. They were hungry for it. They knew there was something very sweet in those words. Right? And then in our gospel reading, Jesus then, he reads in a church, in a synagogue, from the book of Isaiah. He says that he has sent me, this is God has sent Jesus to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus himself gives these sweet words from the Bible. And Jesus points out, this is what's sweet about the scripture. Right? That through God, he is giving us this gift of his favor. Jesus is bringing us to God. Right? That's what's sweet about scripture. And it's sweeter than donuts, it's sweeter than honey, it's sweeter than candy. It's that God loves you. And that's exactly what Jesus says to us. Right? Christ has come because God loves you. And that's the sweet news of the Bible. Right? That's what makes the word of God so special. That's what makes the word of God so sweet to us. That's why we should be hungry for it. We should want it. We should want to learn the Bible and hear the words of the Bible because they show us that God loves us. Those are sweet words. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to be hungry for your word and to know the sweet words of your love. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I have to give Mary credit for a joke that she published in a newsletter several months ago because I kept thinking about this joke as I read our scriptures for this Sunday. And so the joke went something like this. All right, a pastor had dinner at the home of a couple in his church. And after he left, the wife said to the husband, hey, we're missing a spoon. I think the pastor stole our spoon. And this bothered, bothered her for a while. Till a year later, the couple had the pastor for dinner again. And unable to resist, the wife asked the pastor, did you steal our spoon last year? And the pastor just quietly replied, no, I placed it inside your Bible. And I'm not interested in guilting anyone about their Bible reading habits. But our readings this morning ask us 
I think, to examine the role that Scripture plays in our faith. Right? Do we understand and embrace Scripture as that which nourishes us? Do we really believe that man does not live by bread alone? Do we hear, read, mark, learn, and meditate on the Word of God? And as our prayer of the day says, it's in taking this approach to Scripture that we can be comforted by God's promises. It's a reminder of who we are. We are the people of God's promises, promises made true through the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures then give us a witness of Christ, but also scriptures organize our lives as Christians. And again, our prayer of the day might be a familiar one. It has a name. It's called the Collect for the Word, and it dates back to at least the 17th century. But we prayed this morning, blessed Lord God, you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for the nourishment of your people. Grant that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that comforted by your promise, we may embrace and forever hold fast to the hope of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In that prayer, we ask God to orient us a certain way to his word. We ask that when we come to scripture, we would hear them, that we would read them, mark them, learn them, that we would inwardly digest them. And that's an interesting phrase, inwardly digest them. It's a reference to Psalm 1, which says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate can be translated inwardly digest. It's supposed to give us the image of a cow chewing the cud. It's slow, deliberate, turning over and over kind of posture towards scripture. It's a posture where we carry scripture with us. We don't just quickly consume it and move on with our lives. Rather, we hold it in ourselves and it affects us. Scripture is given to us to be an organizing text for our life. Scripture tells us the story in Jesus that gives us true meaning to our life. Scriptures reveal to us God's law. It shows us the holiness of God. It shows us our sinfulness. But scriptures also show us the promises of God to forgive our sins and to reconcile us with him forever. And for the Christian, the Bible is not just meant to be a liturgical text. It's not just meant to be a text that we hear on Sunday morning. It is that, of course, but scripture is meant to enfold our whole life. It's meant to give us direction and meaning, and most importantly, it's meant to drive us to God's promises. And so this is also the basic theme of our Old Testament reading this morning from Nehemiah. So we don't often hear from Nehemiah on Sunday morning, but the story of the book of Nehemiah takes place after the return of the exiled Jews from Babylon. The Persian king Cyrus allows the Jews to return to their homeland and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed by the Babylonians. So Nehemiah is the Jewish governor. He's responsible for overseeing the rebuilding of the city walls. But part of the process of returning to Jerusalem for the people is to once again learn what it means to be the people of God. They have been out of the promised land for over a generation. So everything is new to them again. It's new for them. And so they develop this kind of hunger for God's word. 
And so they decided to gather as one, as the scripture says, as one, in a public square to have the books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, read to them. And they stood and listened to the scriptures being read and interpreted all morning. And the Bible says they were eager and attentive. They had a sense that what was being given to them through scriptures was a gift. It was special. It was something that they should hold on to. And so we notice in this reading that it did not take place at the temple, did not take place at a church or a place of worship, but it happened at the water gate, which was the entrance into Jerusalem that was adjacent to the city's best water supply. Right? This was a place the people in the city would have frequented to get water. And so for them, reading scripture here was a reminder to them that the scripture itself should be approached like spiritual water. It was a well that they returned to over and over to be sustained. It wasn't just a text for holidays, for the Sabbath, but there was something about scripture that they needed every day. And so as the people heard the word of God being read, Nehemiah 8, 9 tells us that the people cried when they heard it. It says, together they wept loudly. And we're not told exactly why they, why they wept, why they cried, but I think we can read it in two different ways. First, when they hear the word of God being read and they cry, because they realized all of that, that, they, that they missed out for a generation. They didn't have access to these scriptures for over 40 years. And so they're weeping because they've missed all the stories of God's deliverance to his people. There was so much revealed to them about God, about who they were as God's people, about their stories. They realized they missed all of that goodness. And so they cried for having missed out. The other way we can read this is that when they heard the scriptures being read, they were confronted with just how sinful they were. They had heard the law preached to them for the first time, and they realized they didn't live up to it. They realized they were not good compared to the Ten Commandments. They were weeping, knowing just how far they were away from God's holiness. They didn't live up to the law. As Jews, they had not been keeping the sacrifices or the other purity laws. And so they had missed out on being close to God. So whichever way we want to read that, the interesting thing in our reading is that Ezra then tells them not to weep. He tells them instead, go have a feast. He says, eat the best food you have. Go drink the best wine you have. Go share food with others that don't have anything to eat. He says to them, this day is holy to the Lord for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is the heart of what we should hear today about the Bible. Scripture should organize your life in such a way that it brings you to the joy of the Lord. Now, most of us do not read the Bible inwardly, digest it, learn it, and mark it as we know we ought to. And many of us have a sense of guilt that we don't always find joy in reading the Bible. You know, we don't always find Scripture to be the foundation of our life. Rather, I think we need to approach the Bible in one particular way as Christians. Scriptures are given to us to drive us to trust in God's promises through Jesus Christ. So the Lutheran confessions talk about the Bible being read as law and gospel. Right? The law in the scriptures, what tells us to do something? And the gospel in the scriptures is 
all that God does for us. And so as Lutherans, we say this, that all of the law in the Bible, all the passages in the Old and New Testament that tell us to do something, they make us realize how incapable of being righteous we are. None of us can live perfectly up to the Ten Commandments. None of us can be holy on our own. None of us are good on our own. None of us can read the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh yes, I do that. And all of us should know that in God's presence, we ourselves are far from being holy. And so the commandments of Scripture, the law, force us to seek the gospel. What's the good news? We realize our sinfulness. And so we have to hand it over to God and say, God, I need you to save me. I can't do this on my own. I have to trust in your grace alone. But it's at that moment, it's at that place where we hand it over to God. That's where God's word becomes our strength. That's where we can find joy in God's word. The strength we have in this world is not actually the strength we have in ourselves. Any strength we have in ourselves will falter. Instead, the strength we have comes from believing the promises of God, from believing that God forgives our sins and believing that God promises eternal life. That's our strength. And so the Jews who first read the scripture after a generation away from it are told to embrace that moment as a moment of joy. Yes, they have failed. Yes, they missed out for decades. But at that moment, they also heard the promises of God. They have all the reason then to rejoice. Because God's promises are sure. His word is true. In the same way, we have the opportunity to hear the word of God in our life and to have access to it as a moment of joy. Right? Not because scripture is always easy to read, not because we perfectly can keep all its law, but because the Bible tells us the most basic truth. It proclaims the truth that God is gracious to you. And so take time then to make the Bible central in your life. See it as more than just a collection of stories, more than just a collection of rules that you'll never follow. Rather, take time to hear it, to read it, to mark it, to learn it, to chew on it, to meditate on it. Find the words of Scripture that point you to God's promises. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen.
invite you again to stand as we confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord God of Zion, we give you thanks that you have arisen to show mercy to our fallen world, setting us free from our sin and death. In Christ, the appointed time of favor has come for all people. Cause your name, therefore, to be declared among all peoples, that your grace may not be rejected in our time but received with delight in every place. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, your people in the days of Ezra, the priest, returned to your word with attentive ears. Give us eagerness to hear your word with understanding that our days may be sanctified and your commandments put into practice among us. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Father, you have arranged us as members of one body in Christ. Free us from jealousy or contempt toward our fellow Christians. Lead us to bestow honor on our weaker brothers, to suffer and rejoice together, and to serve in harmony as those baptized in one spirit. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, bless all families and homes that one generation may tell to the next the wonderful works of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God, give wisdom and courage to all who govern our communities and country, especially Joseph, our president, and Richard Michael, our governor, that they may lead well, following your will rather than man's whims. Grant us willingness to support them with our prayers and encouragement. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious and compassionate Lord, as our great physician, mend the bodies and uplift the spirits of all in need, especially Bob. Steve, Mike, June, Chuck, Nancy, Marcy, Donald, Greg, Ray, Amanda, Marilyn, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, Jane, Steve, all of those who are mourning the loss of Carolyn and Judy. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, we give you thanks for the faithful saints who found hope in your word. Keep us with all of your saints, faithful to the day of our resurrection, putting our trust in your word alone. Lord, in your mercy. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
in peace. Serve the Lord.